Okay, we're having a few technical difficulties, so I'm going to, I have to stall for a few minutes, and I'm like, I'm so shy, it's tough for me to be up here and to try to stall, but, oh, wow, <laughs> we're not running yet, right? Because <laughs> if we are, the new people are going, I am never taking that guy serious, ever. <laughs> this morning, I'm walking out the door, it sounds like I'm getting ready to do a comedy skit, guy walks into a church. <laughs> uh, this morning, I was walking out the door wearing a polo which I thought was, you know, me. I get almost to the door, and my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I was going to go to church. She's like, you're not going to wear a button-up shirt? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm going to wear a <laughs> So I had to go steam it and put it on. I'm walking out the door, but I was tough for a split second because when I turned around and she couldn't hear me, I go, but I'm not tucking it in. <laughs> she didn't hear it, but it made me feel like I, you know, salvaged some little bit, you know, of toughness in there, but. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't know. We gave it a shot. <laughs> you guys are going to have to give me a sign. I'm just saying. Going to be a while? <laughs> okay, well, today, um, it took me a while to come up with something to preach. No, I'm just kidding. Today, uh, today we're going to talk about uh, Easter, obviously. And this is, this is one of the most important messages, I think, that any church can preach. And, and I, you know, preaching the resurrection shouldn't be something that's just done uh, on Easter Sunday because it's so, so, so important. Actually, it's a very, very special day to me uh, because uh, this is the day we celebrate the beginning of it all. What made it all possible is what we celebrate today because the resurrection is literally the crux of our faith. It is the crux of our faith. I mean, without, without this resurrection, I mean, death would still be reigning. To this day, death would still be reigning, but Jesus faced death head on and he defeated it and the resurrection is proof of that throughout history because there is proof of the resurrection. There are people who are not Christians who record in that time, even secular historians, seeing the resurrected Christ, seeing people that were resurrected. So it is very, very important that we understand history even backs this up. And now, you know, all who trust in him get a share in his victory, get a share in that same victory over death. And so I'm so excited about today. But the concept of a person dying and being brought back to life it was tough for them to understand. It was, it was then, and it still is. It's really hard to comprehend that, you know. But Jesus and his disciples really explained it well, and they illustrated it very well. Uh, and we're going to take a look at that today. Uh, but, you know, the Bible has several different resurrections, and that's what kept going through my mind. Obviously, none is more important than the one we're celebrating today. But there were several resurrections in the Scripture. Uh, today, we're going to look at three really powerful resurrections in the Bible uh, that the Bible discusses, and it kind of helps us grasp that. We're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus, obviously. We're going to look at the resurrection of Lazarus. How many people like that story? I love that story. Oh, we're up and running? Welcome, if you're watching online. I'm not backing up. Okay. <laughs> Luckily, my, uh, my brief recap wasn't that brief. Okay. But uh, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, and then the resurrection of believers, both spiritually and physically. So I titled today's message, because I'm so creative, Resurrections. All right. Now, like I said, today uh, we celebrate, in my opinion, the single most important event in the history of the world, and obviously that being the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think it is the single most important event that ever happened, because think about it, the birth, the life, the death, and the burial of Jesus literally would be pointless if he wasn't resurrected. It would have all been pointless. I mean, actually, if the tomb wasn't empty, uh, faith, religion, and hope would have been empty. There would have been no purpose. 
but the tomb was empty. It, it's so important. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that the life of Christ and his ministry and, and his death and what happened on the cross, that was all very important and inspirational, and it teaches us a lot about his love. But if his body were still in that tomb come Sunday morning, death would have won. Because I don't know about you, but just knowing that death in the grave couldn't defeat Jesus, couldn't hold him down, that's what gives me confidence. That's what allows me to face when I have loved ones that have passed on in Christ, knowing that they have victory over death like Jesus had victory over death. That's what gives me my confidence. And it was so important that people understood why that tomb was empty, that God made sure he sent his angels to make sure they got a hold of it. Because I think God's grace, his love, and his desire to redeem us all were absolutely revealed by that empty tomb. So we're going to pick up at that empty tomb today. If you look at Luke 24, starting in verse 1, it says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, uh, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. As the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again? And they remembered his words. And returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things uh, to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. Now, this was the apostles. They weren't believing them, right? Uh, verse 12, But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping down, looking in. He saw, that the linen wrap, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what, he had, at what had happened. Now, this is kind of neat, because several women, you can tell that there was, a, there was an air of desperation and pain in these women, because they are heading to the tomb to anoint a body that is hidden in a tomb covered by a I mean, a stone that weighed thousands of pounds that was rolled downhill to cover that opening. Yet they were on their way just hoping they could find someone to move a several thousand pound stone out of their way just on the chance that they might be able to anoint that body with these spices that they bought. And Mark tells us about that in Mark 16.1. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome uh, brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Uh, very early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, they came to the tomb uh, when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. So they're thinking, well, maybe just by chance somebody will be able to move it. It was desperation. I mean, it was obviously desperation because you know the Roman guard wasn't going to move it for them, right? The Jews weren't going to move it for them, and nobody that, that even loved Jesus would take that chance of being caught trying to break into that grave. But when they get there, the stone is already rolled away. So I'm sure they were really excited. So they go into the tomb hoping and fully expecting to see the body of Jesus. I mean, they fully expected him to still be in that tomb, right? But immediately they realized his body was gone and the tomb was completely empty, right? And while they were trying to figure that out, two angels, that was the men in dazzling clothing, there was two angels suddenly appeared to them. And I love the reaction of these angels uh, to the confusion these women had about Jesus' missing body because the angels couldn't believe they actually expected to find Jesus in that tomb. I mean, the angels could not believe they actually expected he'd be in there. Look at this, Luke 24, uh, starting in 5b. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? 
He is not here. He is risen. Remember, he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. See, angels are a totally different creation. And I hate to bust everybody's bubble. We will not become angels when we die. I don't want to become an angel when we die. I want to become what Jesus promised me I would become when I die, you know. But they don't, they're not like us, and they have perfect understanding as to what's going on. And they knew exactly who Jesus was and exactly how powerful that he was. They knew that. And I can just imagine them talking to each other going, what is wrong with these people? I mean, what is wrong with these people? Did they, don't they know he's God? Haven't they figured that out yet? Maybe they're raising, you know, the dead already. And maybe, you know, the feeding 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. I don't know, maybe walking on water. Maybe calming the seas. Maybe that gave them a hint that he's God. How did they not know? Or I can hear him saying, I, you know, I can't believe they actually thought that death could win. I can't believe they entertained the theory that death could defeat God. I can just imagine him. Then the angels reminded him that Jesus told them he'd be killed and resurrected. And, and if you look at Matthew 17, it's not like he kind of told him. It's not like he hinted about it, right? Uh, starting in verse 22, it says, And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. I mean, he didn't leave a lot of room for error there, did he? You know, he's like, because the Son of Man was a title, a messianic title, uh, talking about the Christ, and they knew he was the Christ, right? But they refused to listen, because, you know, when we love somebody, we, we like to hold on to hope no matter what, don't we? Nobody wants to think of anything bad happening to those we love, and they just hated the thought of their leader being crucified or being killed and, and being buried, so they just refused to listen to him. They didn't even want to think about the thought of him dying. But when they remembered these words, these angels reminded them, and they, and they remembered these words, and as soon as they heard it, it, they were just so excited they had to run to tell everybody. Now, I want to tell you something. There, there was a reason God wanted women to be the first one to get to the empty tomb. There's a reason. Because God knew all the talk that was going on in all those salons around Jerusalem. <laughs> he knew. So he thought, there is no way they're going to keep this secret. They're going to tell everybody. So I'm going to get emails. Anyway, <laughs> I believe that's true. I'm standing by it. All right, now, it was especially strange to me that Mary Magdalene didn't get a grasp of this sooner than everybody else. Because Mary and her sister Martha witnessed Jesus' power over death when he resurrected their brother Lazarus from the dead. I mean, and there are a lot of similarities between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of Lazarus. And, and I believe the resurrection of Lazarus was a teaching moment for Jesus. He was trying to show them that he had power over death. He was trying to prepare them for that empty tomb. He was trying to give them kind of a booster uh, shot of spirituality here so they could understand what he was capable of. So we're going to take a look uh, at Lazarus' resurrection uh, that Mary witnessed in John. So look at John 11.1. 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village uh, of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, The sickness is not to end in death but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Right now, here's the concept right here, that death can bring glory, but it's just, it's just a look, right? Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so uh, when he heard that he was sick, 
he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does that sound strange to anybody? When he heard that he was sick, when he heard that he was in dire straits, he decided, let's wait a couple days. Okay, that's what they're saying. So Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, they were all very close to Jesus. He was close to that family. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, the first thing you'd think he'd do would be like, saddle him up and let's go, right? You'd think that he would be in a huge hurry to rush to go see him, but he didn't. In fact, he, he wanted to wait around for two days before they left. And I can just imagine what his disciples are thinking. His, his disciples are thinking, you know, aren't they close? So, I mean, why isn't he going there? Come on, let's go. But he didn't. He wanted to wait two days. And if you pay attention, you'll notice that Jesus told them why he didn't hurry. But for some reason, they didn't hear. A lot of times in the scriptures, you will see times that Jesus or one of the writers says something very plain and everybody misses it. And we see that and we're like, what is wrong with it? Well, the truth is, how many times do we hear the word of God and not absorb it like we should too? So let's not be too hard on him. But he tells them exactly why he wasn't in a hurry. John eleven four. But when uh, Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not to end in death but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So he was saying, this isn't going to end in his death. He's not really going to end up that way, right? And he wasn't dismissing Lazarus' condition. He was just setting them up for a miracle. He wanted them to be ready for what they were about to receive. Because in verse 14, we'll see that Jesus knew something about Lazarus none of them knew. But, you know, so far, we'll take a look at this, and we'll look at that when we get farther in the outline. But So after two days, Jesus decided, okay, now it's time. And I'll explain all that in a minute. Now it's time to go see Lazarus. But the disciples were afraid. So John eleven seven says, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Now Bethany was in Judea, by the way. Uh, verse 8, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Then he said, uh, after that, he had said, I'm sorry. <laughs> then he said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of his sleep. Now remember, the Hebrews didn't like to use the word death. They used the word sleep, right? And you can see that this goes completely over the disciples' head. Verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, what? He will recover. They're like, well, if he's asleep, why are we wasting our time going there and putting ourselves in danger, right? They were totally totally missing it. And I, and I love this because it says, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, and I can just see Jesus going, he's dead. <laughs> you know, he's like, Lazarus is dead. Okay, verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Now, visiting Lazarus meant going to Bethany, which was in Judea, where a bunch of Jews wanted to kill Jesus and had already attempted to kill Jesus. Right? So Jesus reminded the disciples, because they were so worried about it, what's going to happen? All they could think about was the danger. And so he reminded them that those who follow him and walk in the light never stumble, which might have made them think, well, what does that mean? Right? That's probably what they were thinking. But see, the last time he was in Bethany or in Judea, he said a couple things that really honked off the Jews, really got them riled up. First, he basically said that he was as eternal as God. Look at this, John eight fifty six. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. See, when you start talking about Abraham to a Jew, that's like talking about somebody's kids. I mean, they get up at arms, right? Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was what? I am. Okay, they knew what God said 
when he told Moses, hey, listen, go tell them I am sent you. They knew that was a reference to God. He said, before Abraham was, I am. The second thing he did that kind of had him you know, frustrated was he called himself the light of the world, which was a reference to, to the Christ. Jesus, uh, John eight twelve says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. And they didn't like that teaching because they're like, you know what, it kind of sounds like he's saying he's God. You see the disciples going, duh. You know what I mean? He literally, they thought he was claiming to be God, and he was. They were right. So they tried to kill him by stoning him to death, but he escaped because it wasn't his time to die yet. And Jesus, the reason he's told them all that was he wanted his disciples to know that those who follow him, who walk in his light, have nothing to fear. Basically, he was telling them, let me worry about the danger. You just follow me, okay, and trust me. You know, I heard a preacher say one time, you guys have all heard of love languages, right? You know, the five love languages written, I think it was Gary Chapman, right? Uh, I heard a preacher one time say, you know what God's love language is? Trust. His love language is trust. He's like, if you trust me, stop worrying and just follow me. Just follow me. And that's what he was saying to him there. How many times has God had to tell us that? How many times have we created these fears in our lives because we know God is, is asking us to do something or leading us to do something, and all the enemy's fears start coming into our minds, and he starts whispering the doubts. How many times has he had to say, would you just follow me and let me worry about the danger? This is what he was saying to them. They were still apprehensive, and what Thomas said proves that they were still apprehensive. Look at this, John eleven sixteen. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. You know what he expected to happen? <laughs> After Jesus told him how this whole thing was going to work, he expected Jesus to die down there. What I think is funny is this is the same Thomas that would later be called Doubting Thomas. And he's the one saying, let's go die with our Savior. So his disciples agreed to go, but they weren't really going because they believed in the cause. They were going just to protect him and to fight by his side. And little did they know they were about to witness one of the greatest miracles in Scripture. So by the time Jesus arrives here, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now that is very, very important. That is very important. He'd been dead for four days. John eleven seventeen. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, it often confuses people when they read this section of Scripture because it sounds like they're saying that Jesus heard this news when he was in Jerusalem, which was only two miles away, which would make it really hard to explain why it took him so long to get there if it were two miles away, which is about a two-day journey, okay? Made that really hard, but you have to remember something. Jesus was not in Jerusalem when he got these messages. When this message came to him, he was not in Jerusalem because the timeline wouldn't work. He was in a different town when they found him called Bethabara is where he was, and it was 15 to 20 miles away, and that would be about a one-day journey, right? So why would John even mention that distance? It's really important. John mentioned the distance from Jerusalem because he was trying to explain how so many people were there to mourn with him already. Well, they were all there to mourn with him because a lot of their family lived in Jerusalem, and it was only two miles away. So when they heard of the death of Lazarus, a bunch of people descended upon him and mourned with him because the Jews were big on mourning. If you didn't have a lot, this is kind of funny, but if you didn't have a lot of friends or family, you could pay people to mourn back then. That's probably what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to set back a fund. Pay people to cry. I know my bill collectors will be. But anyway, 
So that's why he, you know, explained that distance. But Jesus was not two miles away. He wasn't in Jerusalem. So the timeline would be as follows. Now, this is really important. You're probably going, it's Easter. Why are you talking about timelines? Well, because I got the mic. But listen, on day one, Jesus meets with the messengers. And here's about Lazarus. On days two and three, those are the two days that Jesus said, let's just hang on before we go. Right? So on day four, that was the day that Jesus made the one-day journey and arrived uh, in Bethany to Lazarus' family. Now, the reason that timeline is really important is going to become evident as the story kind of unfolds. But upon, uh, upon arrival, he sees Mary and Martha, the two sisters of Lazarus, the one who had died. And they were understandably frustrated. Look at this. Uh, John eleven twenty. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brothers would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha, uh, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me, what? Will never die. Then he says, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Right? Now, because of her grief, she was frustrated. And to be honest with you, she was a little irreverent here. Because I'm telling you how she responded to him. Okay, when she responded, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. I can guarantee you, you know, it was kind of like, oh, here we go with more religion. My brother's dead, and here we go. You're going to tell me he's going to rise again on the resurrection. So he said, your brother will live again. And she goes, I know he'll rise again on the resurrection on the last day. But you should have been here. That's what she was saying. You should have been here, right? And then Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And those words calmed her. And those words should have been what was ringing in her mind when she entered that empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday. Those, rings should have been, those words should have been ringing in her mind that I am the resurrection and the life. That should have come to her, but it didn't. And she even confessed that she knew and believed that he was the Christ, and she still didn't get it. So Martha was finally calmed down, but now Jesus had to go face the other sister, who was Mary, and she was frustrated. Look at this, John eleven twenty eight. It says, when she said this, she went, in, uh, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying, Secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, and they followed her. Nosy! You know what I'm saying? That's what that was. And they followed her, supposing that she was going to, to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, so like Martha, Mary didn't understand why he just didn't come and heal him. Like, you fed 5,000. You saved people by walking on water and stopping a storm so that they wouldn't sink. You've done so many miracles. And you didn't have one left for my brother. Not, not one left for my brother. And to make matters worse, then all the bystanders who were nosy and following him, they started piping up. The peanut gallery starts to talk here. So John eleven thirty three. 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, the Jews uh, and, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, uh, they said to him, Lord, come and see Jesus. And then here's the verse everyone's memorized in Sunday school, in Sunday school. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved them? Now listen to this. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So now he's getting it from them. 
But the one thing they could not question, notice the one thing they couldn't question was the love that he was showing for these people. They could not question that. But in verses 38 through 45, this is where everybody's questions about timing, everything gets answered. Let's start with 38. It says, so Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Uh, Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Wow, does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? This almost sounds like a picture of what God was about to do with him. You see what I mean? All right, so when Jesus saw the tomb of Lazarus, he told him, remove the stone. Now, I don't think we understand how important this is. He says, remove the stone, but Martha said, hold up. He's been in there four days. He probably is decomposing. He probably stinks by now. He's been in there four days, right? That's what she was saying. Now, remember our timeline. This is where it becomes important. This is where it becomes important. We know that Lazarus died four days before Jesus arrived in Bethany, right? Four days before he arrived in Bethany. Now, according to that timeline, when the messengers found Jesus, Lazarus was already dead. When everybody's saying, hurry, let's go see him before he dies, he's like, that ship has sailed, right? Because he knew he had already died. And we see the timeline here, four days that's the exact time from when he heard from when he arrived. He was dead when they arrived. The messengers didn't know that, right? So that's why Jesus said when they asked him and they were confused, he said, he's dead. He explained to him he is dead, and they still didn't understand that, right? Now, there was a couple customs you have to understand here. First of all, Jews refused to touch a dead body, especially rabbis. You didn't touch dead bodies because dead bodies made you unclean. and You'd have to be outside the camp for seven days. So they did not touch dead bodies. So to hear a man they, they saw as a rabbi say, roll the stone away. They're probably going, what is wrong with him? And I'm sure that Martha didn't want it opened either. She, she knew that would make him you know, unclean, and she didn't want to be unclean. So she's like, oh, hold the phone. He's been dead a while, and he's probably stinking by now. But here's the thing I love about Jesus. He was not religious. I probably just offended half the people watching online. But he was not religious at all. He didn't follow people's religion. He didn't like people's rules. And he's like, I don't care about that unclean rule. Get the stone out and from in front of the cave and let him go. He wasn't concerned about that. John eleven forty. Jesus said to her, did I, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So he was looking at her saying, do you know who I am? Do you still not know who I am? This is the Son of God you just said that I was the Christ that came into the world, and I'm asking you to remove the stone, and you're pulling religion on me? Get that stone out of the way. We got work to do. So they followed his uh, his advice, and they opened the tomb of Lazarus. Then Jesus prayed. Look at this, uh, John 11, 41. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, what? Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. At this time, I wonder how many Jews were going, oh, he's lost it. He's lost it. He's calling out to a dead man. Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. Some of the most powerful words ever spoken in Scripture. Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. So after he prayed, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Imagine what the crowd thought when he come out of that grave. Now, I, I'm not going to lie. This is a little Quentin Tarantino because it was a little scary. 
He comes out of the grave wrapped. They used to wrap them up very tightly when they were in their graves and put spices in the wrappings to help with the odor. And here he comes out totally wrapped like a mummy. I'll bet people, there were people running and screaming when he came out of there because, you know, that had to be scary. But Augustine wrote one time, and I really like this quote, what Augustine said about this uh, Lazarus being resurrected. He said, if Jesus had not said Lazarus' name, all would have come out from their graves. <laughs> that is so true. And you think they were freaked out then. You think they were freaked out by seeing this mummy-looking guy come out who had been dead. Imagine if he said, come forth, and every grave, the hand started pushing out. You know, like, night of the living dead, man. People would have been freaking out. But that's how powerful all God and all man and one person through Jesus actually was. If he had not said his name, that's probably exactly what would happen. And Lazarus coming out still wrapped in these grave clothes, I, I think it's really neat, because Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And they did what he asked. And when he was released from the grave clothes, he was completely healthy and alive. Like it had never happened. Probably smelled, but like it never happened. Right? So Jesus did this miracle so that people would know that he had power over life and death. And his, his disciples should have picked up on this. This should have been an indicator of what was coming at that empty tomb. But for some reason, they just didn't grasp that. He was trying to prepare them for that resurrection, like we said earlier, which leads us to the last resurrections we're going to discuss today. Now, you may be wondering why I mentioned the resurrection of Lazarus on Easter. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason. I did that to remind you about something people seem to forget about Jesus. All right? And that is that Jesus has always been and will always be in the resurrection business. It's not a one-time thing. He is still resurrecting people today, still doing that. Jesus' power and victory over death was not only a one-time event. It's going to continue to happen. It's still happening. It's not some parlor trick. Look at this. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and what? And the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is still resurrecting the dead every day, and I swear I'm going to explain that to you because that's what we should think of today. Jesus has always resurrected the Lazaruses of this world. And every one of us, have been Lazarus at one time or another. And you guys are thinking, what are you talking about? I have never been killed and shoved in a tomb. But I'm talking about the definition of his name. The definition of Lazarus mean God, means God helps, or one that God helps. That's what Lazarus means. And every one of us has needed God's help to resurrect us spiritually, believers. Have we not? Has not every one of us needed him to resurrect us spiritually? And the only way we can get back to where we should be is to allow him to be the one God helps. How many times has Jesus resurrected the dead areas that we've allowed in our lives? And we do allow parts of our faith to die, parts of our spirituality to die in our lives. It happens. And I'm talking about when we get weak and allow ourselves to succumb to all the temptation. That's what I'm talking about. For example, when we spiritually die a little bit, when we withhold forgiveness from somebody. Right? I don't know if you realize this, but when you hold a grudge... You're not hurting the person you're holding the grudge against. You're hurting yourself. You're dying a little spiritually because everything that Jesus is about is about forgiveness and you're withholding it like you have the right to withhold that. We die a little, right? Or when we gossip about someone to make ourselves feel better, we die a little because the person you're talking about, no matter what they did, Jesus died for them. You die a little. Or when we judge others rather than love them. Listen, save your judgment for yourself. You got a mirror at home. Go look at that guy. There's plenty there to judge. 
or when we're more passionate about politics and sports and money than we are God. We die a little inside. And when we allow that to happen, our relationship with God starts fading a little bit. Now, you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose that closeness. We don't read as much. We don't pray as much. We don't give as much. We don't serve as much because we're slowly fading, right? But before we know it, we don't even feel his presence. Have you ever been there where you have allowed things to creep into your life and you get to a point where you can't feel him anymore? Sometimes you hide that with anger, right? Sometimes you hide that with doubt, but we have all been to that moment where we just stop feeling God, and it's not that God doesn't love us. He just doesn't reward us for walking away from him, right? And then we all have that moment where, where we just aren't feeling him like we used to feel him, right? Then it feels like, have you ever felt like you're just going through the motions? When you get to that point where you've allowed yourself to die spiritually so many areas and so many ways that, you know, going to church, you're doing it because you're supposed to. You read because you're supposed to. You do your Bible study so nobody makes fun of you at Bible study class. You know what I mean? You're just going through the motions at that point, and that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And that's when we need to turn back to Jesus because you know what will happen? The moment we turn back to Jesus, he can resurrect our faith and bring it to life again. Something he was trying to teach us at the tomb. I mean, like Lazarus, we don't have to stay in that condition. He can resurrect us and remove the stink that has been put on us from the world. Because believe me, like Lazarus not coming out of the tomb, the farther we get from God, the more we stink. Some of you literally. But the more we stink, we just stink of the sin that has held us down. But if we confess, listen to this, if we confess, God will resurrect that passion in us. Look at this, 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If I were the author of that, I would say, if you say you don't sin, you're just a big fat liar. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, what? From all unrighteousness. Then we can hear him calling us again. Calling us out of that tomb, like he called Lazarus out. But our tomb, our tomb that he calls us out of is that tomb of distraction and, and anger and self-pity that we allowed ourselves to creep back into. And when Jesus calls, he's like, yes, I'll forgive you. Yes, I'll restore you. I will bring you back to life. But you've got to come out of that tomb. You've got to quit letting yourself be in the grave that the enemy has put you in and let me pull you out of there because there's one thing he's dying to say to you. He's dying to say, I want to unbind you and I want to let you go. I want to let you be free. And that, then all the things that the enemy has bound us with, the doubt, the fear, the anger, the grudges, fall off. Then we can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit coursing through us again. I don't know how many of you have ever gotten away from God, but when you come back, is it just me or do you feel like you are flying for a while when you feel that presence again? And you can't believe you ever allowed yourself to get away with it. And you're glad, you're glad that he resurrected that inside you and makes you active again. Now there's one more resurrection I'm going to mention, and then I'll get out of your way. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. This is the one that every believer should be waiting for. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, that means die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be what? Raised, Raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in... And victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That victory started at the tomb. Started at the empty tomb. 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So someday, for the last time, for the last time, Jesus will call us out of these bodies. Someday that is coming. Because the tomb was empty, every grave that a believer's body in is in is empty too. Because the spirit that makes us who we are in Christ never sees a grave because Jesus kicked the back door out of graves for believers. The moment we die, our spirit, the what, what who makes us who we are, goes to be with Christ immediately. So when I'm doing funerals, I always tell the families of believers, listen to me. You did not just bury your loved one. You buried the body that they're trading in for a new one someday. They're with Jesus. Because of the empty tomb, that is possible. Then he will loosen us and let us go from the bondage of this earth forever. And I am so excited about that day. Then we get to spend eternity with Jesus. And you know what's amazing is it's not just with Jesus, but with everyone who has passed on in Christ before us. That's what that empty tomb made possible. Those resurrections that we see, those resurrections that we read about in the scripture, we say, gosh, I wish that would happen now. It does. It happens every day spiritually, and one day, all of us will be resurrected to a new body and a new life, and I can't, I can't wait for that day. I'm going to close there. I ask, ask everyone if they would to please bow their heads. If this is your first time, we always like to give a, an invitation, and especially on this day. You know, it's easy to make these spiritual celebrations or holidays become normal. We get desensitized to them. Christmas has become about presents. Easter is about eggs for some reason. But you know what? They were designed to draw a picture of the most loving act ever performed on this earth, and that was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your eternal life. In the greatest act of heroism when he defeated death, hell, and the grave and was resurrected. That's what these holidays are for. So today, if you're not sure where you stand or you just need prayer, I'm not going to point you out or ask you to come forward. Just while every head is bowed, just make eye contact with me and I will pray for you today. Bless those people. I'm not going to point you out. Bless those people. Bless those people. I'm going to be praying for you. Bless those people. And I do pray for those people. Bless those people. If you're listening or watching online, I'll be praying for you too. But believers, listen, I always pray for us because there is a great battle out there we still need to be prepared to fight. It's still out there. And the enemy is throwing all these things out to try to confuse our kids and our loved ones. That's why we need to remind them of the empty tomb every chance we get. Because through that comes the freedom we enjoy. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the love and mercy and kindness you show us. We thank you, God, for this day and what it represents. God, we know that what Jesus did was a great price to pay. We don't have to pay it, but we know that the torture he endured, the cross he endured, the death he endured, we deserve that, but he took it for us. And he took the last enemy that we had to fear out of this world when he rose from that grave. He defeated death, and we no longer have to fear that because of his great sacrifice. God, I just pray 
that if there's anyone that doesn't know you, I'm sure that there's been all kinds of religion and things that have pushed them away. But your word is very clear. Anyone who can believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee their eternal life, anyone that can believe that will have it. Because we know, Lord, you don't want any great work from us. The great work was done by your son. You want us to trust in that great work. And if someone makes that decision, I pray they contact us. But Lord, today we live in a world that needs the light of Christ more than ever. Let your people be resurrected spiritually. Let our fire and our passion come back to life. And let us take the gospel to everyone we can share it with. Let us love people like you love them. Make us effective for drawing people into your kingdom because, God, we know the time is short. And we just pray that as we leave here today, God, that we would be empowered and that we would live what we profess. But if you don't return, Lord, before we get the chance to meet again, we just pray that we come together again excited about giving you the praise and glory that you're so worthy of. We just thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.